Hello, and welcome to In All of Us Command. I'm Kate. I'm Aaron. And we will be learning about national anthems. Each week, we choose a new country at random, we learn a little bit about this country, and then we listen to their anthem. After listening, we rate the anthem based on several criteria and see how they all stack up in our humble opinion. Now, we don't want you to think that because of the title, we're huge fans of O Canada. Um, in fact, we plan to dunk on it pretty much constantly throughout the show, and we do not expect it to finish highly in the rankings at all. So we're going to start with some background stuff on this one. Um, today yeah, we are talking about Kosovo. Kosovo, okay. Yes, which is a place I had never heard of. I had before. come across mentions of it in my Slovenia research, which is why I had an idea of where it was. But I, I certainly am not intimately familiar with with anything about it. I've got a rough idea of what direction we're headed, and yeah. it's not a positive one. Yeah, so you remember how when we did the Iceland episode, we were all happy and skipping through the fields of flowers because there were no major human rights violations. Yeah, except for probably, like, Vikings, but, like... Probably Vikings. You can't really talk about human rights like, violations <laughs> in the same way. It was a different time. They were Vikings. <laughs> They probably violated some human rights, if we're being completely honest with ourselves. Almost certainly. Almost certainly. But um, today we're going to make up for the lack of human rights violations in Iceland. Um, It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun and terrible. Um, Kosovo has really, like, been through some shit. Yeah, and they're... They're one of the countries that's in somewhat sketchy recognition status worldwide, correct? Yes, we will talk about this, but not all countries in the world acknowledge that Kosovo exists. Yes. Um, Some people are very angry about this. Well, (laughs) I think that's the case anytime that's that's something that's disputed. People in Kosovo are also pretty angry about this. Of course. Um, Yeah. As they should be. So... It's it's a long and bloody history that's similar to like East Timor is going to bring us like very close to the present day and what we're going to cover. Okay. To even like talk about this stuff. So the beginning well, it was part is, of Yugoslavia, right? It was. Yeah, it was. Um, and is one of the youngest countries. Um, they're only 14 years old, having been. Oh, my God. They signed like the independence officially in 2008. Okay. I believe I was reading they're the second youngest country in the world. So probably not quite 14 yet by by date. Yeah, that's probably true, actually. Not quite. Um, it also makes them younger even than East Timor, who we discussed at the time, uh, got their independence in 2002. Right. Okay. Yeah. So some young ones. The yeah. little guys. Yeah. Um, so Kosovo, geographically, um, is a landlocked country that shares borders with a number of places, um, those being Montenegro, Serbia, Albania, and North Macedonia. Okay. So it's it's in... There's a lot going on around. Um, and the capital city, just for context, is called Pristina. Okay. Yes. So we're going to talk about some early stuff. I didn't find a lot for this. It's a little bit complicated because the histories tend to cover more like the general area and yeah, not of Kosovo specifically. Um, so I'm sure a lot of this will get said again when we talk about Albania and Montenegro Serbia and, and Montenegro, yeah. like all the places that are around. Plus, Kosovo is quite small. 
to it's kind of like squeezed in the middle. Yeah, and I find the smaller the country, the harder it is to find. Because maybe if it's that small, maybe we just never fucking found any prehistoric shit there. Well, (laughs) let's talk about that for a second. Um, So the area in that is present-day Kosovo was originally occupied by a people called the Dardani, um, who lived in what was then called Dardania. Uh, this is around 10 BCE. And this was part of what was then called Illyria, which comprised much of the Balkan Peninsula, including modern-day Kosovo and Albania. Okay. Illyria rings a bell. It's the a real Dardania place. does not. No, I think that's quite specific. Okay. Um, Illyria... Okay. Th- they talk about it in, like, Twelfth Night. That's probably where uh, where I'm getting and that. I think when I read that play, I just assumed it was like some fantasy land that Shakespeare just been like, put something down. Okay, moving on. Because uh, it's not really that important. Yeah. But um, it was a real place. It was cool. a real thing. Um, and so this almost is like the beginning of the tensions between Kosovo and neighboring Serbia. Wait, so Twelfth uh, Night takes place in like deep Eastern Europe? I don't think so okay does it we don't talk about this enough i don't think i don't think it takes place in a does it take place in illyria i don't know is that the setting maybe someone tweet us if you've read 12th night more recently we're gonna we're gonna look into this on the break i'm gonna put this on my questions <laughs> i can see you like sneaking your phone out of your pocket to write it down that's very funny okay yeah we'll learn more about illyria sorry keep um, on going otherwise so the thing is that serbia has taken like great pains to study the archaeology in the area to try to prove that Albania did not have Illyrian ethnic origins. Right. Which they pretty much absolutely do. Right. Obviously they are discussing this and it's like up for debate, I suppose. Just an obvious ploy of political erasure. Yeah, but it's just them being like, no, no, we're going to find something. We're going to find something that proves you're not from here. But then they're like, yeah, yes, we are. Yes, we are. So... That's kind of, I found actually a very like in-depth academic article about this that I sort of wish I'd had more time to read the whole thing. Yeah. Because it seemed to like really be getting into the nitty gritty of the prehistorical tensions. <laughs> um, so this becomes sort of an argument about what was called in the article, like, quote, continuity of descent, um, which is to say tracking people's origins way back to like see where they come from geographically um today almost everyone in kosovo is of albanian descent so we're going to talk about like albanian kosovar and serbian kosovar okay those being the two major ethnic groups within kosovo within kosovo but the albanians are there's way more of them you look at the pie chart like almost well over like 60 percent of people are Albanian, and then there's like some Serbian people, and then a few others from other places right. around. Um, but I don't think it's that much of a hotspot for um, immigration. Right. So it's really like the neighbors. Um, so in the history, uh, Romans conquer the area in about the first century CE. Um, the in the 6th century, various Slavic peoples begin to move into the area. The Romans lose their grip a little bit, and the area is contested. Um, this, I'm sure, will come up in greater detail when we talk about Serbia. But in the 12th century, Serbia controls Kosovo, um, and they build there a bunch of Serbian Orthodox churches and monasteries. So this is Serbia an independent entity as early as the 12th century? I don't know. 
Okay. I don't know. Ask me when we talk about Serbia. Sure. Um, or I can look it up on the break if you want. No, it's all right. Um, at least that geographical part controlled this geographical yeah. part. Whether the borders were sure. as they are, almost certainly not. Um, but they build, right, they build so all these Orthodox churches and monasteries, which is kind of hilarious because today Kosovo has an overwhelmingly Muslim population. So it's, really? Yeah, okay. But they have at this point all these churches. Um, there's. Sorry, I lost where I was. Kosovo um, at this point is in sort of the center of the Serbian Empire. So there you go a little bit. It's okay. They've got some other territory too. Um, and in 1389, the Battle of Kosovo is fought between uh, the Serbs and the Turkish Ottoman Empire. And by the 15th century, the Turks have taken over all of Serbia and Kosovo. Right. That makes sense. Yes. Um, there's also kind of a demographic shift at this point where many Serbian people living in the area migrate north and west. And even now, I think most Serbian people live in the north of Kosovo. Okay. Um, when they fight the wars later, I think most of the like really bad stuff happened. Yeah, and we saw that we saw similar stuff last week in Switzerland, where a lot of these historical migrations really defined like where is the French canton and where is the German canton and all that. Yeah, exactly. Um, So this is also when a lot of people convert to Islam, which, as I said, today is the primary religion practiced in Kosovo. Um, Although I was reading that people there take it pretty casually. Okay, there's not a lot of like really serious Muslims. It's more general, right? And Less of the like stuff that we think of as being kind of strict Muslim protocol is not really adhered to. Okay. Um, so there's also at this point a shift to the more popular use of the Albanian language, um, although it doesn't make up the majority for a few hundred years yet. But this is like the beginning today, mostly. It's Albanian speakers Okay. as well. Um, in 1766, the Serbian Orthodox patriarchate in i don't know how you pronounce this exactly peje maybe is another city okay anyways um and this is abolished which leads to serbs caring less about what happens in kosovo and they become kosovo is a area becomes less important and is no longer at the center of the empire as the orthodox grip kind of slips there right they've they've sort of taken some of that church power and moved it out of the region. Yes, yes. Um, but it still sort of carries a reputation as being part of Serbia's golden age, which might also have something to do with why Serbia is so determined okay. to make it part of Serbia and keep it that way. Um, I didn't realize Serbia had this long of a history of conquest and shit. Yeah, it seems they, they were pretty efficient. Back in the day. Fair enough. <laughs> um, they will also be efficient in the future. Well. We will see. Um, so at the same time uh, that all of this is happening, more and more Albanians are starting to identify with the region as sort of home. Um, they're starting to see themselves as like part of the Kosovo landscape. Okay. More. Um, the first Balkan War, which I didn't know anything about the Balkan Wars, it's quite complicated. Did you know about this? I know that they happened. And I didn't realize either they happened so close to World War One, 
But anyways, um, the Balkan War, the first Balkan War, there were two. The first one takes place um, between 1912 and 1913, um, basically because everyone is arguing over what is and is not the Ottoman Empire. And then after they've decided that, what territory belongs to whom of what's left over? And this is pre-World War I. This is pre-World War I, but barely. Um, Because then the Ottoman Empire is going to get dissolved at the end of World War I. Yes, exactly. Um, So this chiefly involves Bulgaria, Greece, Montenegro, Serbia, and Macedonia. Um, In the midst of all this, Serbia takes control of Kosovo again. And in 19... Sorry. They take control in 1912. They lose it again during World War I in 1915. At the end of the war in 1918, Kosovo becomes part of the Kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes as part of Serbia, which is about to be renamed Yugoslavia. Yes, I do remember covering that in our Slovenia episode. Yes, yes. Um, At this point, a lot of Albanians leave Kosovo, fleeing the Serbian army, and a lot of them emigrate to present-day Turkey. Um, more Serbians move into Kosovo. So you can see this like ebb and flow of like Albanians and Serbians, like in and out and in and out. Um, So the Serbians move in, uh, aided by the Belgrade government, um, but they're still a minority in Kosovo. I don't know if they ever reach majority, actually. At least not like going forward. And Belgrade Um, is the capital of Serbia, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't misunderstanding. I think I will... Triple check that at the intermission. Um, The Axis occupies Yugoslavia in 1941, um, at which point Kosovo is brought together with Albania sort of under Italian rule. Okay. Albanians living in Kosovo take this opportunity to kill and drive away thousands of Serbians currently living in Kosovo. Um, They see i guess coming back to their homeland is like out with you an opportunity to take, take the whole thing for themselves yes, yeah yes um and then in 1944 at the end of world war ii uh, the axis powers back out of albania and kosovo some albanians wanted kosovo to stay part of albania and there was a revolt to this effect um, but yugoslavia had just established a communist government that kind of squished the rebellion mm-hmm. pretty effectively Um, Yugoslavia allowed Kosovo to become autonomous within Serbia um, while continuing to keep uh, Kosovo Albanians from getting like too overexcited about ruling their own. I think there was a lot of that within Yugoslavia. Yeah. Yeah. So they're kind of like under the blanket of Serbia, but are technically still autonomous. Um, This goes on for a while. In the mid 60s, um, Yugoslavia recognizes Albanian ethnic identity um, and starts allowing Albanians to participate in administrative positions. Okay. Like police judging that kind of sure. thing. Sure. Um, they call this, quote, albanization, which I thought was like odd. I don't know. It's not. It's it's no different than, you know, Romanization, like yeah, all that's these true. other terms it's we've seen. It's not what I've heard before. Yeah. It's just um, an unfamiliar version of it. Yes. And at this point, many of the Serbians still left in Kosovo leave and. Sorry, the the Serbs still left in Kosovo leave and go back to Serbia. Okay. Um, Yugoslavia establishes a constitution in 1974 that makes Kosovo essentially a republic, except they're technically still part of Serbia. So it's a lot of like fine print business here. Right. You're, you're not quite your own thing. Yeah, but yeah. like we'll kind of 
they're essentially they are, but not really, not officially. Um, so then the economy in the 70s is quite stressed um, in Yugoslavia and by extension Kosovo because of the energy crisis. Um, Kosovo being overall less developed kind of gets the short end of the stick and they do a little bit worse than some other places. Right. Also, I don't think Serbia is like doing a whole lot to help them. Okay. Was certainly my... Just sort of letting it happen. Understanding, yeah. Yeah, it's like, well, it sucks for you. Um, there's a student protest because of this neglect and how crappy things are. Um, there's a student protest in Pristina uh, that kicks off like a big old helping of civil disorder through 1981. And this is really the beginning of the true chaos. Right. If the lead up hasn't been chaotic. I mean, yeah, this is the time that the true chaos would start happening. Yes. So, um, the authorities keep making protests worse by using unnecessary and excessive force against the protesters. This leads to several deaths. Um, the exact number of which is not really agreed upon. Serbia starts getting pissed because Kosovars can organize and they kind of proved that mm-hmm. um, and they've gained the support of some other Serbian provinces um, and now we're going to talk about Milosevic am I yeah. saying that right? I think Milosevic? it's Milosevic yeah. Milosevic, okay um, so Milosevic, fun guy fun guy um, becomes <laughs> leader of Serbia's communist party in 1987 He's later president of the Serbian Republic in 1989. Yugoslavia at the time was made up of eight communist parties, and Milosevic has control of four of them. Okay. So he is essentially the Yugoslavian government yes. by himself. That um, was my understanding. Yeah, he's he's got the whole thing. He's pretending he doesn't, kind of. Um, Pretty common move. Yes. So he has control not only... Of Serbia, but also several autonomous provinces, which included Kosovo and also um, Vojvodina and Montenegro. Montenegro was a republic. I'm a little confused about this. I'm hoping it becomes more clear the more we cover Yugoslavia and (laughs) associated We'll see if we can clear it up as time goes Um, by. Because it's... And I didn't want to, like, spend a lot of time looking... Into, maybe I should have. <laughs> anyway, I didn't. So here we are. Um, and so this is to say that essentially Milosevic has control of all Yugoslavia. Um, he then takes it upon himself to take away Kosovo's autonomy and hands control entirely over to Serbia. Obviously, Kosovar Albanians are not super thrilled with this, as one can imagine. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of violent protests. And Milosevic sends in the Yugoslavian military in 1990 to dissolve Kosovo's assembly and also closed all the schools in the area or in the province that taught um, the Albanian language, which I have to assume was most of them, if not nearly all. um, Yeah, I got the impression that at least at this point in the history, the Albanians are a pretty overwhelming majority in Kosovo. They are. They are. And I think it was was worded very diplomatically in the article I was reading, (laughs) Uh, but I don't see how that's less than half. Certainly. That's um, pretty conservative <laughs> which I think estimate is, from where I'm is sitting. Being pretty yeah. conservative. So 
Kosovo then holds an unofficial referendum in September of 1990, where basically the entire population votes to succeed from Serbia and Yugoslavia. This, what I understand to mean by an unofficial referendum is that they're not like technically supposed to be doing it. Right. But they, they don't do have the government's per- yeah. permission to be holding this referendum. But they just do. They yeah. organize it. People vote and they're like, nope, we want to get the heck out of here. Totally. Um, other parts of Yugoslavia send economic aid to Kosovo as Serbia continues to sort of crack down on Kosovar Albanians. Um, this is extremely expensive for the Yugoslavian government and contributes actually to the dissolving of Yugoslavia in 1991. <laughs> um, people were... They couldn't agree. Yeah. They couldn't agree about what to do with Kosovo. Um, Yugoslavia then reforms in 1992, this time made up only of Serbia and Montenegro. And okay. A, and also controlled by our dear friend Milosevic, who's and still kicking. When you say Serbia and Montenegro, like yes. we're including Kosovo as a part of Serbia in that. Y- yes, but they don't want to be. Right. But they they are, whether they like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so overall, um, Serbians are not super keen to just like drop Kosovo and they are still involved. Um, admirably, Kosovo chooses to take a nonviolent approach, um, led by pacifist Ibrahim Rugova. Um, the tactic is to just kind of carry on and ignore Serbia. Okay. (laughs) Just operate as if Serbia were not there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but things don't move quickly. And by the early nineties, um, they still haven't succeeded in confirming independence or for that matter, autonomy. So they're trying a thing, but it's not really getting anybody anywhere. They keep on with the peaceful approach though. Um, but since that's not working, a small Albanian guerrilla force, um, pops up called the Kosovo Liberation Army or KLA. Um, they come around in 1996 and kind of pop up to take a little more action on things that are not moving quickly enough for them. Um, The KLA starts attacking Serbian police and other officials, Serbian officials, let's be specific, in Kosovo. Um, In 97, they get weapons in Albania, which allows them to really step up their game, and they get a lot more efficient. Um, Serbia doesn't like this one bit, obviously, and in early 1998, they stage a brutal attack on the Drenica region, which at the time is held by the rebel KLA forces. Um, Kosovars are so angry and so shocked by this brutal attack that um, hundreds more of them give up the peaceful thing and go join the KLA. And then we get into like some serious fighting by the summer of 1998. Um, Yugoslavia, though, is strong and well-armed and pretty ruthless, which sparks a refugee crisis that at this point starts to get international media attention. Um, You can read articles about this still in the New York Times. Yeah. No, associated we, publications. I knew a lot of I knew a lot of it got messy after sort of the original Yugoslavia dissolved, which is when Slovenia gained their independence. So this yeah. is all stuff we haven't covered yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's it's good to know about. <laughs> if it's, you like that sort of thing. If you, <laughs> <laughs> Which somehow we do, I suppose. I I suppose so. Uh, As we keep doing this to ourselves week after week. (laughs) Okay. So now it's time for the international folks to get involved. Um, Right. As maybe they should have. Yeah. This is, this could be argued, I think, different ways. 
um, we will see later how Kosovo sort of interpreted these efforts. So the U.S., who I think were genuinely trying to help, okay. um, try to mediate between Yugoslavia and the Kosovo Albanians, I'm sorry, um, in November 98, they sign a ceasefire that doesn't last until the end of the year. So like yep. less than a month, basically. Um, and it's broken by the Yugoslav army. There are more talks. There's a lot of talks. There are more talks in France in February of 1999, but nothing still is accomplished by March of that year. Um, Albania requests that NATO sends a peacekeeping force. And the U.S., who it seems were not really gunning for Kosovar independence necessarily, but they did want to stop the violence because they could see, I guess, that it was harming a lot of civilians, mm -hmm. by which I mean thousands of civilians. Um, I read an article in the Washington Times about what sort of lunacy <laughs> this ends up being. So NATO takes it upon themselves to not only do the peacekeeping thing, but to just bomb Serbian targets in both Serbia and Kosovo. Um, Serbia, and this is where I think it can kind of be argued that like maybe they shouldn't have got involved. Yeah, it's, it's okay. So Serbia and Yugoslavia obviously hate this and retaliate by just like booting up a genocide, um, which like maybe don't do the bombing if you've been asked to send a peacekeeping force. I don't know. It's a little weird yeah, to me. This this um, is pretty badly bungled. And I feel like there's just some American guy in an office in the States being like, I have an idea. <laughs> it is a smart idea. And we will blow things up. And I don't love that. Um, Blowing shit up for peace. Yeah, just guys, guys. And like, I don't know how it would have gone if they hadn't. Maybe it just would have dragged on and on and would have been worse. But I don't think it gets much worse. Okay, we'll get there. So... So this genocide against Kosovar Albanians, which is to say the whole country, mm -hmm. pretty much, um, forces thousands of refu refugees into neighboring countries, um, chiefly Albania, Macedonia, and Montenegro. Um, about 90% of Kosovo's population, or 1.5 million people, would flee their homes. So it's a lot. There's horrifying pictures that you can look at if you want to, of people just like walking on train tracks carrying their children and their backpacks like yeah. off to who knows where um it's unclear how many people died in this conflict but it was mostly civilians and one source cites about twelve thousand people but it was a bit confusing how they were measuring this it seemed they maybe like sent out a survey and asked people to report like how right. many people they knew who had died kind of the serbian government isn't they weren't counting counting no yeah. one was counting <laughs> Um, Jesus. So I don't know. I don't know how good that number is, right. is what I'm trying to say. Um, so NATO carries on bombing until June when finally there is a peace agreement and Serbian and Yugoslavian armies retreat from Kosovo, which like, thank God for something. Now NATO sends the peacekeeping troops. And at this point, the refugees kind of turn around and start coming home. Um, Serbian population also at this time drops to below 10%. Uh, the UN spends some time talking about what they should sort of do with Kosovo between 2005 and 2007. Um, the proposal is for self-rule, but not full independence. I think the idea being that it would, like, slowly they would kind of let them go. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. I, always with the like, let's <laughs> baby step this shit. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little weird. I don't know though. I think, I think though, for the most part, the Kosovar Albanians were on board with this plan. Um, I think they were kind of gonna take what they could get from the UN, yeah. which they wanted to be part of, obviously. For, right, of course. Because of course they do. This um, is in some way tacit recognition from the yeah, UN. Yeah, and I think they're willing to take that and kind of go from there. But Serbia, of course, is like, nah. Because <laughs> why would Serbia accept this plan? And so talks continue to drag on for months. And finally, in 2008, Kosovo's like, that's fine. Enough is enough. And the country officially declares independence on February 17th, 2008, which is just like a month from now or so. Yeah. Which is kind of fun. Um, Serbia and Russia get all up in crazy about this and they, they declare the independence, quote, illegal, which I didn't know you could do that. But anyways, I guess you can. Um, Serbs who live in Kosovo go ahead and elect their own assembly kind of in protest of this. Um, Serbia challenges the Declaration of Independence to the International Court of Justice. Russia objects as well. And this just like slows everything down a bunch more because, of course, it does. The UN kind of hand things off to the EU ULEX mission um, to administer police and justice systems in Kosovo. Kosovo then holds its first election in 2009 as a huge FU to all the people who didn't recognize their independence <laughs> and <laughs> to sort of show they're committed to establishing a democracy and right. a government. It seems, overall, the election went pretty well. Um, it was more or less fair and peaceful, uh, though a lot of the Serbian population did not participate. Um, the thing is that no one's... I think even kind of to this day, not sure what to do about the small Serbian population. Uh, there were talks in 2010 to work on this, and it seems there wasn't any progress. Well, um, the impression I got at the beginning was that it's not that small. We're talking about 20 or 30 percent of the population, aren't we? But it dropped to less than 10 after the war. Oh, OK. So less and less all the time. Right. I think. OK. Um, although I feel also, I don't know, from what I read, I got the impression that the ones who are there are kind of like, no, we're, we're here. We're okay. Yeah. We're here for this. Uh, but I don't think anyone's like rushing in to join them necessarily. Um, so the economy also has suffered a fair bit because Kosovo declared their independence essentially at the beginning of the financial crisis in 2008. Right. Yeah, that's true. Which is, like, if you're going to pick a time to do that, that's probably not it. But also they'd been in a war for a long time. And yeah. I mean, you take what you can get and just run. Um, so Kosovo still remains reliant on aid from U.S. and Europe. The U.S., sorry, and Europe um, into the early 2010s. Um, in 2013, an agreement is finally reached between Kosovo and Serbia, which allows Kosovo Serbs some autonomy, and in exchange, they recognize that Kosovo exists and essentially has authority. Right. Um, which seems hilarious to me, but <laughs> anyway, that's the deal. Um, today, 94 UN states do not recognize Kosovo, including Serbia, Russia, and China, among others. Canada, however, does recognize Kosovo, as does the US. Okay. And I think that's been important for them. Not Canada, but the U.S. certainly. Yeah, to be like, for sure. The big guys know we're here. Um, the U.K. also. Um, okay. There's a list online. This is kind of exhausting. I didn't read the whole thing. But there's a list of like 
all the countries and the date to the day that they recognized that Kosovo existed. So are, it they, was, yeah. are they a member state of the UN? I think so. Okay. Now. Yes. Um, so I know it wasn't a super long history, um, but I have some good fun facts for us. Great. So we're going to talk about some fun stuff. Firstly, um, the Kosovar flag has a blue background with a yellow map of Kosovo in the center. I feel we don't talk enough about the flags a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I thought I would mention this one also cause it's a little weird with the like geographical kind of outline right. of the country. Not a lot of people That's have interesting. that. Um, and there's six stars above the map, which symbolize the six major ethnic groups in Kosovo, which are the Albanians, Serbs, um, Bosnia. Why did I write Bosniaks? It's gotta be Bosnians, right? Jesus. Okay. <laughs> This is what happens when you get to the end and the typing is not as good as it was. Um, Turks, Romani, and Gorani. Okay. And it was adopted at independence in 2008. Um, I also want to talk about um, Melinda, I believe I'm saying that right, also Kelmendi, um, who was one of Kosovo's national heroes. Um, she competed in the Rio Olympics in 2016 and won the first gold medal for Kosovo, like when they competed in the Olympics as themselves. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, what did she compete in? Judo. Fuck yeah. Which I think is kind of a big deal in Kosovo. Interesting. I watched a short documentary on her because um, they had one of those like Road to the Olympics right. ones. It was quite interesting. Um, she's very like serious and straightforward about things. Yeah. Um, Judo's not something you hear about a ton over here. Like, no, but my, I think it's quite popular. My brother took lessons for like a year when he was a kid, but that's really the most I've interacted with judo in all my life. Yeah, it's not something I know anything about. It's also not a sport that I'm like looking to watch when the Olympics are on. Um, I feel, especially in the summer, I tend to gravitate more towards the things that other people want to watch, like gymnastics and I don't know. I like horseback riding, but that's just me. Um, Did she compete in the messed up COVID Olympics? I think, uh, yes. 2020, I think, was her last Olympics. She's retired since then. Um, She did not defend her title in 2020. Okay. Um, But I think still put up a decent, well, literal fight because it's judo. True. (laughs) (laughs) So she also competed in London 2012, but at the time represented Albania. Okay. And also talked about in the documentary um, about how I don't really get, I don't know a lot about athletes and like how this stuff works, but that she'd had a lot of offers to kind of go and compete for other countries. And yeah, I don't, I don't really know how that works. I didn't think you could do that, but maybe they're like move here and I think there's, there, there's definitely like dual citizens can like make a choice of which country they want to represent, but I don't know how else you do it really. I don't either. Maybe it was pre-Olympics, but basically she was saying she got a lot of offers to leave Kosovo and didn't. Um, Because she wanted to really, like, represent for the little guys. So this, when she won, though, it was a huge deal. Like, a huge deal. There was a street party and a double-decker bus. And there were fireworks. And she stood on the top of the double-decker bus and they drove it through the streets. And she waved. It was really Could you maybe get a picture of the parade for the show notes? Probably. Probably. It was not... Like I say, street party. It wasn't didn't sure. look that crazy, but people came out for it, <laughs> and it was it was very cool. Um, 
So she won at the time against um, an Italian athlete and seems to have inspired like every single living person in Kosovo. Um, they were interviewing them at the street party and they were all like, she's an inspiration. Mm-hmm. We aspire to be like her. It's really great. I think, I think she knows this and is like that. That was really the mission more than winning the Olympics for her. It's quite a mantle to be yeah. the person from this very small country to be like the first one on the world stage. That's, yeah. that's really something. And she was the first and she's a woman and it's a whole, like, it's great. Um, and also too, for her, a large part of the victory seems to be, just sticking it to all the countries who were like, you don't exist. She's like, well, I'm going to go win the Olympics and then we'll see who exists, which is kind of great. Um, and there's also, fun fact, a life-size bronze statue of her in her hometown of Pija. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also a photo of her standing next to the statue, which I was reading is like apparently kind of a big deal because she's still alive when they put it up. Right. I guess usually they make statues of dead people. But yeah. Anyway, she's not old. She's like 30. She's our age. She's... <laughs> wild <laughs> she's uh, quite young um so that's her and that's the flag um okay so there's also this thing in kosovo called the newborn monument which can be found in the capital um it's not unlike our toronto sign down in nathan phillips square okay um, and it was unveiled um on february 17th 2008 at independence um and then it was repainted yellow and then again, repainted with the flags of all the countries that recognize Kosovo. Um, then, oh, that's fun. Right? It's, a, it's cool. I'll get a picture of that, yeah. too. It's quite cool looking. Then, and I'm not sure how I feel about this, but in 2018, on the 10th anniversary, it was redesigned and now reads new 10RN instead of newborn. You see, they've replaced the letters in the middle with the 10. Um which I think it looks a bit awkward to read, to be honest. But I think it's a neat idea to have like a, a sort of a living. It'll look better at 30. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It will. Um, but um, I think it's cool that it kind of keeps changing and that they keep like repainting and redesigning. Yeah. And I think that's a fun, like living kind of statue thing. Um, that's kind of cool. Finally, I would like to... Oh, no, sorry. Sorry, I have an extra one I forgot about. Right. Um, so there's also... I wanted to talk about um, a Kosovar artist named Petrit Halili. Halilai. That's it. Sorry, I got the phonetic spelling from the website. Okay. Halilai. Um, and he had recently, in 2021, an art exhibit in Cornwall, England, where, incidentally, I've actually been, which is sort of hilarious because I haven't been to a lot of places, but I've been to Cornwall. <laughs> Um, they have great ice cream there, and I hope he ate some. Um, so he is an artist, and in the 90s, as a child, he was in a refugee camp in Albania, fleeing the aforementioned genocide and war. Um, and a team of psychologists came to visit the camp to sort of help the children process their trauma. Um, and they gave Halilai at this time um, pens and paper, and he drew some stuff. But he drew also, like what he had seen. So you have a child drawing like tanks and mass graves. Right. And that's tough, but also good for him. Um, in his, his recent show, he incorporated a lot of the elements of these childhood drawings, which I guess he still has. Um, and they have, it's very cool. They're these like sort of cutout pieces that he has hung from the ceiling. So you can kind of walk through it. It's quite cool. Um, and they retain kind of a childhood, childish kind of, I don't know, 
quite vibrant. They're very colorful. It is interesting. Um, and I thought it was interesting. I was reading a little bit about his other stuff, but it seems that mostly his art in some way relates to Kosovo's history. Um, cool. Which is kind of neat. And he's also kind of getting recognition internationally, which is good too, I feel. A lot of good artists don't get the attention they deserve. Yeah. Um, especially when they come from small or otherwise marginalized places. Um, so this is the thing, though, that I have really been saving up to tell you. Okay. Because you, you were going to love this. It's the best fun fact I have ever found. Great. So in Kosovo, <laughs> there is an artificial, an artificial lake in the northwest, and it has two names. Um, it's right on the border with Serbia, although most of it is in Kosovo. Okay. Serbs call it Gazivoda, and Albanians call it Ujman. And it is not uncommon, apparently, for many things to have two names in Kosovo. Um, there's a Serbian name and an Albanian name. Right, and everybody And everyone just kind of gets on with their lives, and it doesn't seem to really cause anybody problems. Um, then, in February 2021, um, a Trump representative in the area tried to rename it Trump Lake and nearby Trump Bridge in an absolutely fucking hilarious effort to make things easier between Kosovo and Serbia. They're like, Trump will be the thing <laughs> that binds us. That's incredible. This representative, um, name of Grinnell, um, seemingly was there to like help upgrade the hydroelectric thing. It's quite mundane, really, why he was there. And as a joke, he started calling this lake Trump Lake. Possibly trying also to like make Trump look like a diplomat before the summer election. Because that's how you do it, don't you know? You go to the border of two countries who don't like each other and you name a lake after yourself. After a president that no one likes. Yes. So this was quite a time. Um, people in Serbia who I think feel a little bit like Trump is kind of sympathetic to their position were sort of okay with it. Um but this is, keep in mind, this is people in Serbia, mm -hmm. not Serbian or Kosovo Serbians. Right. Um, then one day a banner appeared at this lake that read, President Trump, Kosovo Serbs, thank you for bringing peace. And then Kosovo, okay, so Kosovo, it seems like America and are trying to sort of emulate the American thing. Okay. Um, they have they have already a Bill Clinton Boulevard and a highway named after uh, Beau Biden's late son, and also a Hillary boutique, which I meant to Google a picture of and I didn't, so I'll probably do that at the break. Um, but despite all of this, no one in Kosovo is okay with the name change. They didn't like right. it. The Serbian Kosovars didn't like it, and the Albanians didn't like it. Nobody liked it. Um, Although, in a way, it kind of actually did something, because now the Albanians and Serbs in Kosovo agree that it was a stupid idea. <laughs> However, the banner is a mystery. No one took responsibility for it. No one knows how it got there. And I just, I love that. I think, I think maybe it was the diplomat yeah. who did it, but that's just me. Um, diplomat, representative, whatever. Um, so... <laughs> That's it for my fun facts. We can all go visit Trump Lake sometime. Oh, good. I don't think it's stuck. I... <laughs> people it certainly the, doesn't sound like people it. in the interviews were like, it already has a name. It doesn't need another one. What idiot. 
Okay. <laughs> Just okay. So I thought that was funny. Um, I can now talk about the food we made, if you would like. Yeah, or Coast do of Oak Cake by Kate. That's not what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> Although it I've is been cake. Calling the food. Yeah, it's it's been a day. <laughs> Luckily, the cake only took me thirty minutes to make. Okay, um, so we will be making today um, tesk tespeach. I believe it is pronounced. It is spelled many ways. Yeah. As I'm sure the alphabet is not Roman. Just not a great Um, transliteration word. There's so many different ones. (laughs) Some people put the X in different places and I'm like, I'm not sure about this. Which anyway is a very like simple, straightforward cake that I made first by heating up milk and oil and baking soda in a pot, which I've never done before. Yeah, that's interesting. And then when it bubbled a little bit, I took it off the heat and added flour. Um, oh, sugar also was already in there with the milk. Okay. I added the flour. I sort of stirred it and made this kind of dough that was kind of similar to cookie dough almost, but not so buttery mm-hmm. in its texture. And then I pressed it into a pan. And then you do a little design on top, which I think is quite like customizable, mm-hmm. depending on who you are and what your taste is. I think it's often triangles, the website said that I used. Right. Um, I used a cookie cutter to kind of make a pattern it's okay it's not great but i wanted to do something because it was going to be very boring otherwise um and then you bake that and while you're baking it you make like a sugar syrup and really just like a two to one simple syrup okay and when the cake comes out uh you poke it well i poked it didn't say to but i thought that would be a good idea yeah i poked it and then i poured some of the sugar syrup over it so it would like seep Mm -hmm. into the cake and we're going to eat it and see how it is. Great. Yeah. What is uh, the name of this anthem we're going to listen to? Okay. <laughs> so the anthem... The anthem, this is really freaking weird. The whole thing. Okay. The whole thing. The whole story. The whole thing is weird. It's called Europe. All right, well, let's take a break and listen to it then. <laughs> Not to be confused, however, with the um, the anthem of the European Union, which is called Anthem of Europe. Right. Sometimes it is also called the Anthem of the Republic of Kosovo. Okay, great. Let's take a break and listen to it then. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, we've just listened to the anthem, which is a very short one, so it took hardly any time. Yeah. And we ate our cake, which, Aaron, what did you think? Of I the loved cake? it. I thought it was really good. It's really a, a simple recipe, uh, really plain but delicious cake. You could do, I, I know you were saying you saw a lot of variations on this recipe, and I can see how that would be the case. It would be a very easy recipe to modify and 
suit to fit your tastes. We were talking as we ate about all the things we would do differently if we made it again. Fruit, honey, vanilla extract. There's a lot that could be done there. I also think it sort of, I almost did this, but then I was like, no, you got to do it like the recipe says for the for the podcast yeah. but um i was thinking it would be a good candidate for alternate flowers also if you wanted to use almond flour or coconut flour or True. something like that i think that could be quite nice yeah yeah so yeah i really enjoyed it i liked it actually way more than i thought i was going to as i was pressing it into the pan i was like no nah, i don't know this could just be dry and gross but i've got a bit of a like not always friendly relationship with like eastern european sweets and I wasn't yeah. sure I was going to be into it. But yeah, I really enjoyed that. The complicated relationship for me is um, Indian desserts. Okay, yeah. Everybody loves the gulab jamun. And I'm always like, ah, I don't know. It's so sweet. I, I mean, know, I don't know about me. the gulab jamun. But uh, in my experience, my my relationship with Indian desserts is much less complicated. I just don't like them very much. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I like I want to like them. I love Indian food so much. But anyway, we'll get there when we talk about India. Um, so, so this national anthem titled Europe um, is a bit of an outlier. It is. I thought it was not bad, though. I thought it was uh, an interesting piece. Yeah, it's not It's not bad by any means. It's very concise, which is nice. Um, they think, I think, from the research that I did on the anthem, which, as usual, was fairly sparse, um, perhaps somewhat less so because it was so recent. It's only from 2008. Right. Um, the, the title is possibly a nod to all like the help and the resources that the EU gave provided in Kosovo gaining independence. Exactly. And like throughout the whole war and stuff and the maybe in in more recent times, but I think it's, it's very much like a tip of the hat. Like, thank you. It seems interestingly like gratefulness is really baked into the way the country has approached independence. That's true. That's true. That's quite insightful. Um, And I think too, they're, they're, gunning quite strongly to be part of the eu yes as well and um, probably the un and probably the un oh they are a, i think they're you part said of the, they are a member state up, yeah i forgot anyway i'm i'm pretty sure yeah i'm pretty sure they're a member of the un um so this anthem has no official lyrics although there are some words that we heard in the one version we listened to that do get sung um how they decided all of this is they had a competition in march 2008 um it was composed by mendy Mengiki, I think is how you say that. Was the competition yes. for a purely instrumental anthem? I'm not sure. I think they kind of didn't specify, maybe. Okay, and then just an instrumental piece won? I think so, yes. Interesting. Um, so the composer is Albanian and born near Kosovo's capital. Um, because of the war in the 90s, he finished his musical education in Poland. Um, he is composed for children and choirs and incorporates um, Albanian traditions into his works. Um, he also, and I thought this was interesting, has composed for a few alternative slash short films, um, one of which is about the 1990s war Interesting in Kosovo. So I was surprised when he had an IMDb page because no one we talk about on this podcast <laughs> has an IMDb page, except maybe in the fun facts. Um but yeah, he he did. Um, I'm sorry, there's not much. That's okay to be said about this. There was an anthem. There was a competition. It has no official lyrics. Do you know where the unofficial lyrics came from? 
I do not. Okay. I do not. Um, I wish I did, but it didn't come up. That's okay. At all. So maybe they're just popular. Yeah. It's all right. Okay. Um, now I feel like I should have done better research on that, but anyways, it wasn't mentioned in the things that I read. Cool. The, the only thing they talk about is that there are no official lyrics. Right. Which is odd. Anyway, um, shall we shall we discuss? Yeah, let's start with the lyrics, I guess. They are very short. They are very short, but I think they do what they do very nicely. I agree. It is to the point. Um, I think, yeah, it's it's just concise and there's no God. There's um, no God, which is quite unusual. Actually. Yeah. I, I love this phrase, nest of love. Yes, that is that is quite nice. Uh, so yeah, I, I kind of love these lyrics for how small they are. Yeah, um, they are, they're very manageable. It's not like big gestures or when it grand feels, anything. It's just like it's, it's a nest of love. It feels very <laughs> considered. Like someone wasn't just jamming every last thought into no. a six and a half minute <laughs> rambling epic. Like it's the, true. this it, is it's you like know thirty seconds. Yeah, two yeah. stanzas, and it's. I really like these. I think they're they're so nice and positive and kind of unique in you know not necessarily their subject matter but in their phrasing of it mm-hmm. um i like that it's on you eagles fly at least in the english translation i yeah. think that's kind of fun um i'm gonna go probably as high as an eight for these yeah i agree i think um i'm gonna go i think nine for this music I think the music is quite nice. The music is quite nice. Unfortunately, I would say it's a little forgettable. Yeah. It's a little bit of an in one ear and out the other situation for me. I didn't have any complaints about it, mm-hmm. uh, but it it did fade pretty quickly, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so, too. Music... I don't know. I'm probably going to go, like, six. Yeah, I was thinking this. six as well. Yeah. Um, background. So there's not much. It's kind of quirky, though. Yeah. The Europe title and the competition and the lack of official lyrics. It's it's interesting. I I like the Europe title. I think maybe, though, I'm going to give it points for that in the historical significance section because there is so very little to yeah. talk about in that section it's true it's true uh, although i mean we'll talk about it when we get there background story i think i'm gonna go probably like a four yeah i was gonna say five for this um significance i think like it's not insignificant no but um, it's also 14 years old yes and and doesn't make a ton of like specific references or anything in the lyrics and no, but like maybe that's on purpose. Like maybe well, and the lyrics aren't official. Yeah, that's true. Too. So that's why I think the title is sort of its standard bearer for specificity and historical significance. If we're talking about how this gratitude is based 
sort of baked into the whole Kosovar nation Mm -hmm. model, then I think naming their anthem as like a call out to their buddies is kind of great. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm probably going for like a four and a half here. Yeah. Yeah, for significance, I agree. I'm going to go five. Um, X Factor. There's not not none, but yeah, there's, there's not a ton either. There wasn't a lot of variation between the versions we listened to. No, then again, they've hardly had a chance. No, that's true. To make different ones, but... But also, this anthem was written in 2008. You and I were both, like, in high school. We know what songs sounded like in 2008. They can be more exciting than this. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, they can sound like... I kissed a girl and I liked it. <laughs> or Umbrella. <laughs> yeah, Umbrella would have been huge. <laughs> I want a country whose national anthem is Umbrella. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, X Factor for me, I'm going to go four. Yeah, I'm probably going to go three on this three. one. Okay. Sorry, Kosovo. Let's, let's add this up. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so that gives us 54.5. Which is a pretty tough score. That That's that puts tough. it pretty I, close to the bottom of the pack. Yeah, I feel bad, though. I might look into the lyrics a little bit more and see if I can find even anything about that. Yeah, if, if uh, you can get us some background story for my next episode on Madagascar, maybe we can add a point or two to our background story ratings there. Because I feel I did not really do my due diligence on that. Sorry, everyone. Um, okay, shall we roll for my next week? Sounds good. Be looking at the top of your list because you got number 24. Number 24 is Bosnia and Herzegovina. All right, so that's right next door. Right that's next another door. Yugoslavia country. Awesome. Okay. (laughs) That's going to be so much fun. We can probably find out about some more genocides. Sounds educational. That's what we'll go with. That's what we'll go with. Okay. Join us next week. Aaron, what are you doing next week? I'm doing Madagascar. We're going to learn about Madagascar. And then in two weeks, I'll be back with Bosnia and Herzegovina. All right. I think it's Herzegovina. Herzegovina. There's no T in it, though. No, but it's like a... Hertz. Yeah. Herzegovina. Okay, I'll work I on it. I might be wrong. No, I'll look, look it up. up. I'll look it up. <laughs> Did we get something very wrong? Did we skip an entire part of the story that's worth mentioning? That's very likely, and we'd love to hear the correct version. Please tweet us at IAOUC podcast or send us an email at in all of us command podcast at gmail.com. We record these episodes a bit in advance, so you may not hear a correction right away, but we're not too big to admit we are wrong and it will be corrected.